welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, Columbia. We're back again. We've covered Columbia before, right? Yes. Uh, we covered the last, was it the last presidential election? In 2018? Maybe. It was either the last one or the one before. Let us know, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. Yeah, it might have been a really long time ago. Yeah, I think anyway. it was a while ago because we covered the, the peace agreements, which we'll, we'll end up talking about again today. Yeah. Okay. So we're right into it today. We're in Colombia. Colombia is in the north of South America, right? Country of 50 million people, bordered by several countries, interestingly. Mm -hmm. I feel like often countries only have like two or three neighbors. Yeah. But Colombia, bordered by Ecuador, Peru, Venezuela, Brazil, and Panama. Mm -hmm. uh, just a little, I guess Panama can't have a big border with anybody because they're so it's small. It's a very small country. <laughs> <laughs> kind of able to touch the pacific and atlantic ocean i guess the caribbean sea but eh, sure okay yeah. give it to them um <laughs> and very cool kaylee did you know that uh colombia is one of the world's mega diverse countries i did know that yeah with that. the second highest biodiversity in the world okay yeah. fine if you knew that did you know <laughs> that um medellin which is the capital mm -hmm. of one of the northern provinces and one of the like more famous cities in the country also is known as the city of eternal spring okay why is that and um i think it's just because of this like biodiversity it's just like constantly like blooming flowers and stuff oh, okay. it's beautiful and has an annual festival of the flowers which seems super cool mm -hmm. and i would recommend everybody look up festival of the flowers in medellin uh, and just look at the pictures because it's wild. There's like <laughs> parades and like concerts and just like all these like amazing parades of like flower displays and like dancing and stuff. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Wow. We should uh, look to get sponsored by Columbia's tourism board, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be okay with that. <laughs> um, so currently mm -hmm. in Colombia, there is going to be an election that is a two-part presidential election yes. coming up, right? Um, voting in the first round on May 29th. Looks like nobody's going to get 50% or more because nobody ever does in these sorts mm, of things. Not how it works, yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's going to be the runoff vote for the top two presidential candidates on June 19th. But right now, we just have the candidates. There's a bunch of them, uh, and they're all running. And there's kind of like two front runners, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and to set the scene, there was also recently a congressional election, which I guess we can talk about after we introduce the candidates. Or you want to set the scene by showing, wow, look at this shift already. A little bit of yeah. loss of seats by the Democratic Center, who has the current president. I guess we're already talking yeah, about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard not to, uh, because the elections are so close together. So the election of the Congress is March 13th, as uh, I think Alex said. Um, it's kind of hard not to talk about this one as sort of giving you a pretty good sense of where the country is at and what might happen in the presidential election. Uh, mm -hmm. It, it seems uh, pretty indicative. So it, it might be worth talking about first. It does sort of maybe lead us to the to the story of, of this election, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. So currently, so this presidential election, basically you can only have one term as president, right? So the fact that Ivan Duke 
who is the leader of the Democratic Center, is not the leading candidate for president right now, is not necessarily indicative mm-hmm. of what will happen. But the fact that the party that he is part of, the Democratic Center, recently lost quite a number of seats during that congressional election, mm-hmm. um, I think is indicative of that. And also, not only did the Democratic Center lose uh, many of their seats, not many of their seats, but they had a, a worse showing than in the 2018 uh contest the um historic pact coalition of parties mm-hmm. um which is the party of the current kind of front runner for president gustavo petro um they did quite well mm-hmm. um obviously not enough to actually like form government yet but they have to that historic pact coalition has to then form other coalitions on the left mm-hmm. um, but that seems like it might be able to happen right yeah so that seems like it does seem like it will happen um and and so and it's a big switch for i mean it it does seem like oh the the, the left one but like colombia is historically uh very right lean like well that's right leading uh president colombia has uh, never had a left-wing leader in its history yes uh it's also i guess interestingly the it would say that it's the longest running democracy in in uh south america i think uh, as well it's never had a, a dictator uh uh, dictatorship so so it is a, okay. it has a, lo- a fairly long history um uh, to consider when you're saying that it's never had a left-leaning leader at all so this mm-hmm. is a big switch um uh and and yeah so it and it was also a bit like well i think i guess we can get to it now but it was it's definitely a bit marred in in some some scandal i guess controversy maybe is a better word um mm-hmm. because the for the historical pact to to have won they they sort of got to they 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 came in um, first place, um, and then there was sort of a scrutinizing of the ballot of many ballot boxes that seemed to have mm-hmm. no votes from the opposition, which was the historical pact, um, and uh, and 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 only votes for alternate candidates in the conservative party, um, and right. and under that scrutinization, it was found that nearly five hundred thousand uh, legally validated votes for the historical pact had not been included in the preliminary results um which oh yeah <laughs> which sort of uh it, it it sort of made that i think and we'll talk about this throughout but the tensions are quite high right now this this what we are seeing i think in the historical pact winning is this sort of idea of a shift of voters being willing to consider alternates to historic um power power holders in the country people who are used to being in power in the country um and and so it creates uh i think significant tensions um between them to, to for these alternate candidates to be being considered like the historical pact um mm-hmm. and and there are other tensions there just in that in the, you know there's this we'll we'll get into it a bit more i think as we go but uh there there's lots of history with uh armed rebel leftist rebel groups uh so there is sort of a tension there as well uh because many of these uh former uh leftist rebels are now involved in Colombian politics um, in different mm-hmm. ways and and as part such of as the, Gustavo Petro himself <laughs> such as Gustavo Petro himself who is uh, is le- the current leader in the presidential race uh, okay. election race yeah let's slow down here I'm gonna say the names of the two current front runners yeah. give a little bit of background about them and then 
we can talk about some of those um, groups that you were just talking about, mm. maybe how the Colombian armed conflict led to having these, um, you were talking about alternative candidates, but there's these all also not just alternative parties that people are voting for, but also these reserved seats, right? So maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Um, but first, we got ahead of ourselves. So, we, so we've already mentioned Gustavo Petro, right? Who's the previous mayor of Bogota, uh, runner-up in the 2018 presidential election. He uh, is the leader of the Humane Colombia Party, which is part of the Historic Pact Coalition. They're on the left. The Historic Pact just doubled their seats in the Senate and nearly doubled their seats in the Chamber of Representatives from the 2018 election until now. Um, and the and he's a current senator um, in Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, the main opposition to him is Federico Gutierrez, who styles himself as a centrist. Um, he's also a completely independent ca- candidate. Um, he's not currently um, holding any office, but he is uh, the previous mayor of Medellin. So kind of previous mayor of Bogota, previous previous mayor of Medellin, kind of like the two mm-hmm. um, main cities that I think about when I think about Colombia. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, kind of squaring off here, right? Um, Federico Gutierrez has kind of been, there's been a, quite a bit of support for him on the right, but he's kind of disavowed it, right? He's kind of said that he doesn't want this support from anybody. He's his own guy, right? He's trying to kind of come over the top and say that I'm not part of any of these left-right politics. I'm um, against all differences in <laughs> classes and all this stuff, right? He's like, I, I saw an article. He's like, I'm I'm going to fight petty crime because nobody likes petty crime. And I was like, yeah, yeah, fair enough, I guess. Yeah, like, I guess no. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, okay, so... Yeah, so these are the two candidates, right? Gustavo Petro on the left um, and Federico Gutierrez, centrist, embraced by the right. Um, and Kaylee, go. There's some background history that we got to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, I think it's important to note that, um, so so the consequence of, of current President Duke not being able to run again is that um, he is extremely unpopular, uh, and mm-hmm. if he were to run to, again, I, he I, he would lose badly uh, by by everything yes. I can tell. And so it makes sense uh, that any nobody really wants to be very closely associated with him. And uh, so so whoever and and whoever is sort of being embraced by the the traditional um, uh, right leaning politi- like uh, pol- political parties. Um, are being somewhat hindered by uh, by that association, as there is like just a deep uh, 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 distrust of like the current uh, political elite, um, and and so it makes a lot of sense to try and distance yourself from that and to try and seem like you're a centrist who doesn't care about that. But yes. but he is he is unfortunately been tainted by that. Uh, unfortunately for his political campaign, I mean, and, and so he is sort of he is in second. Uh, but I don't think many people would say he's particularly uh, close at the moment um, in terms mm. of uh, terms of second place, which is worth noting. Yeah. So this is kind of. The, that's the, the the situation for the left and the right or the left and the center let's say i guess um <laughs> for the presidential election but um maybe talk about where um specifically gustavo petro has, has come from mm-hmm. right with the with his rebel group that he was part of and maybe a little bit about what the colombian armed conflict and um peace process kind of was and how that is influencing this election 
um, going going from basically right now. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's uh, as I, I said earlier, like this the peace process is really it's new. Like these post uh, elections mm-hmm. are we're seeing them in place, um, and and it's worth noting that uh, the current president uh, Duke he actually wanted to uh, to dismantle um, the peace agreements. That were in place, so he was not a proponent of them. Whereas now, current President Gustavo Petro is of an avid supporter of them for a number of reasons, I'm sure, but uh, mostly uh, you'd imagine as a he was he's a he's a leftist, but also a, a former member of uh, the 19th of April movement, or otherwise known as the M19 fighters, um, which was a, re- a leftist rebel group, um, and he he has then come into politics and is a uh, sort of an advocate. Uh, for the peace agreements and so electing him would it's sort of seen that electing him would be a move in colombia uh, a move by colombians to say that we they want the continuation of of the peace process of the of what was agreed to under the police uh, the peace agreement um and 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 they want the government to live up to the obligations that they had in that agreement to support um what is now a country that's full of a number of regions that are experiencing uh, violence and uh, organized crime organizations and and rebel groups as well, um, but he is divisive. I mean, there's he as a as a member of those group the left uh, the leftist rebel groups like they did cause a lot of harm to a number of communities who still sort of feel that uh, and, and the violence that they experienced. And so he is divisive. There are a number of people who. Uh, who do not support his uh, his uh, run uh, quite rightly? I, I think if 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 you've been experienced such violence, um, so he he is himself divisive, but does sort of carry uh, with him the peace process just inherently in his candidacy. Um, interestingly, yeah, he's and he's the one that's sort of proposing uh, some some important. Uh, uh, issues to to deal with there was a lot of uh a lot of concern about corruption and uh, uh police violence after there were major crackdowns um by the police of month-long protests last year um and that resulted in the deaths of several protesters um there's just like there's significant distrust in the current um current holders of power in the country that is sort of letting him come in here and as a result of the peace movement, which I'll try and explain a little bit more in, in a second or two here, uh, there has been sort of a move towards more Colombians being open um, to uh, the left and, and left alternate left movements um, mm-hmm. and political leaders uh, because they're going through the peace pro- peace process, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, Can maybe let's just talk a little bit about the actual Colombian conflict here and what this peace process is and the significance of it. Um, so the Colombian conflict, right, has just been kind of this ongoing low level um, violence in the country for like 50, 60 years, right? Since yeah. like basically the mid 20th century, um, part of the Cold War, part of the war on drugs, many different um, people involved with this. Um, so I know earlier you said like it's kind of the longest democracy without a civil war or anything, right? Or a dictatorship. Dictatorship, you said. yeah. Um, yeah, but there has been um, like I think often uh, in countries coming out of dictatorship, right? We'll see candidates that were part of rebel movements and mm-hmm. stuff. 
So it's interesting to see here that that's not the case, but there is this kind of ongoing um, conflict that's been happening since the 60s, I think, um, with these kind of like many different groups supported by not just um, different groups within the country, but also different groups internationally, right, as part of these things. And then this peace process has been kind of ongoing for a few years now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so and it's 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 going to there's no no seemingly no end to it. I mean, yeah, so it's it, what you have currently is the peace agreement was bringing bringing together a path forward for um, predominantly a group called FARC, um, who were a leftist rebel uh, movement that uh, that used violent means in a lot of areas. And there were many regions. So it's, it's uh, many regions of Colombia that were very particularly affected by it. Um, and many Colombians uh, would be very strongly opposed to the FARC previous, but then going through this peace agreement process, a big part of that was allowing the FARC and these leftist rebel movements to uh, find pathways to rejoin um, society and be a part of the democratic process as as one of the processes, while also addressing victims um, and, and, people who were uh, uh, in, in involved and impacted by the consequences of the violence in their regions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like something that we were, uh, that I was reading about that is really key to this is um, the peace agreement provided sort of for the creation of what's called 16 special constituencies um, with the mm-hmm. aim of specifically giving representation in Congress to populations and territories most affected by the conflict. Um, so, um, yeah, so so the, they're specifically asking for uh, candidates to only be registered uh, by registered as as uh, candidates by victims or peasants or social uh, associations um, in in the, those regions um, and and giving representation um, to victims of the the violence. It's worth noting though that because the violence in many of these regions is continuing with different groups um, or uh, different rebel groups, different uh, di- uh, groups in those regions. Um, there are actually, it's actually become kind of difficult to get candidates um, to run there safely and securely. Um, and so we're seeing that it's not, it's certainly not like nobody snapped their fingers and it happened. And, and they're mm-hmm. realizing that um, adequate, uh, there's a realization, I think particularly in the last, last congressional election in, in March, um, that the security of candidates, providing security for the candidates who are trying to run in these situations uh, is really key to actually getting that representation um, and inclusion. But you do have uh, in in elected office in Colombia um, victims of the FARC and as well as FARC members um, mm-hmm. existing at the same time, which is kind of gives you a sense of what they're trying to balance, I suppose. Yeah, and just like a point of clarity here is that so the FARC, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, mm-hmm. or the People's Army, um, are a left-wing guerrilla group, right? And they've existed for a very long time as part of this conflict. Um, but even within that, right, now the the FARC was kind of like the main group in peace talks to end this, right? And that was back in 2016, 2017. But even since then, now the FARC has um, kind of splintered, right? And now you have the FARC that's 
cooperating with the government mm-hmm. and other governments as well that that support them to some different extents right other uh, south american governments like venezuela mm-hmm. supposedly um but then also from that FARC, you have this splinter group, the FARC dissidents, mm-hmm. who are unhappy with the way that the peace process was uh, undergone and how it's been um, being carried forward so far. So even among the groups that are part of this, right, and part of the peace process and kind of like the main players, you still have um, dissension within that group and everything. Um, and also this, I think... It's maybe easy to overlook, right? You think, obviously, there's this kind of ongoing conflict in a country, um, and you set aside these 16 seats for people who are specifically impacted by this. And it's kind of hard to think, well, if there's a war in your country ongoing, it's hard to think of people who wouldn't be affected by that. Mm -hmm. Um, But specifically, um, there's supposedly the second largest population of internally displaced people, right? Inside of um, Colombia, almost, I think, one-sixth of the country uh specifically has been a direct impact from from this conflict um so 16 percent of the people and i guess you get these 16 seats um but those 16 seats don't represent 16 percent of of congress but i I don't think that is the the goal necessarily is to get an exact percentage um but this is a a a huge thing that's been ongoing basically for the majority of people who live in this country the basically all of their lives Mm -hmm. have been going on um and so that's just you know really difficult to separate from from all of this and this peace agreement with these different groups um and now getting people who are part of those groups into government it's a whole thing and it's obvious to see how there's this potential for violence in this election security um during this election right now right yeah and and to be clear like the violence is it is actively happening i think uh, i read that uh columbia's peace and reconciliation found foundation says that uh every two days there is a new victim of electoral violence in the country um with documented 188 victims of electoral violence this cycle which i think was for the congressional election um but presumably that will continue on and and in in that there's also just there are armed groups fighting for uh control over strategic drug trafficking routes in the country and and what mm-hmm. this also and and so you mentioned uh, the internally displaced there's also large migrant populations coming from Venezuela who's yeah. under conflict and what a lot of Colombians in reading this what I'm seeing is what the Colombian voters are really worried about is and and, and part of their frustration with um, the ongoing status quo in terms of political leaders is that there isn't a sense that there's any way to um, manage national issues like the big issues that are coming towards them like internal internal displacement what and and migrants um these uh, pockets of crime the ability to run election a national election safely and securely and to be able to access the polls um uh the police violence was another big one um as, as i mentioned earlier and then and then covid19 and the impact of the the health crisis on the country so it's definitely like a sort of a uh, really a country that's highlighting when you're a big country with a lot of different regions, the challenges of governing it all, um, especially when you have such, uh, ongoing conflicts and tensions. Um, and then you're seeing in this, I think, uh, uh, a people, an electorate that wants somebody to take hold of the reins on some of these and have sort of uh, a national approach. Yeah, trying to get that um, national 
or kind of like large scale governance over a country, especially, um, and I think in a totally different context, right? We see this in Canada, having a large country with kind of a sparse population, you get these different regions that are totally different and might have differing, um, uh, interests. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's even, uh, more maximized uh when you also have warring groups within those instead yeah. of just different uh provincial <laughs> governments being upset with one another yes um i think i saw the density like the population density of Colombia is something like it's like um 40th percentile or something yeah it's, um less than less than the the average <laughs> of it's below average population density on earth yeah um and also just you just reading about the the biodiversity of the country too it's just such a diverse um country of regions and everything is very interesting um but even pulling back from a from trying to get a national view on the election um and trying to have people that care about that there's also kind of an international kind of move towards this type of um view in latin america right yeah, so we, we've covered a couple of elections, I think, where we, we've touched on that, particularly Chile comes to mind for me. Um, but there mm-hmm. are, I, I think that there are a number of, of uh, Latin American country elections that we can point to. We uh, Peru, Honduras, and Chile have all elected, um, uh, I guess, more easily termed alternative candidates rather than leftist candidates, just candidates mm-hmm. who would not have previously been thought to possibly get um, two seats of power in the country. Um, mm-hmm. So we are seeing, I think, in the region, which makes it really interesting also when we consider that like also Brazil is going to head to the polls um, this year as yeah. well. Um, and likely we will, we will touch on that um, when it comes around, uh, is that I think, because C- Colombia isn't the only country, because we did cover Chile and we saw this as well, like that it, where there is this like sort of growing frustration with the economic, socioeconomic situations, um, and 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 coming out of a pandemic, I think it's not super surprising to see that people might start looking for something different, um, and just that the situation in the region is such um, where uh, democracies are allowing for alternate candidates to come through mm-hmm. um, makes it a really interesting region to watch. I think maybe you could just listen to our several podcasts episodes <laughs> about um, different countries in South America, but I think we should maybe just do a whole episode on the history of the continent because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um every time we talk about this right it's like just it's basically i i think understanding the impact of the cold war mm-hmm. um in south america totally helps to frame yeah. basically everything that's happening up until now right yeah. Um, so maybe we should do an episode on that. If you want an episode on the history of South America and the impacts of the Cold War on 21st century democracy, yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> maybe a, a two-part two part episode, episode, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, I think it's, you're right. I think when I look at Latin America and, and some of the countries we've covered, you can really see the story of a democracy, like how mm-hmm. up and down that roller coaster yeah. uh, can be. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah, because like, especially when when we talk about certain regions of the world, it's you get this kind of like generalized view of things. And when I think of places that have very interesting levels of development happening right now and mm-hmm. forward momentum, there's a lot of development, I think, that you think of economically in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then this kind of political development and momentum is seems very strong Mm -hmm. um in in south america um so definitely an interesting um region to keep an eye on um and so this election uh is going to be happening on may 29th um and likely the two candidates that'll be going to the runoffs is um gustavo petro and federico gutierrez currently in the lead is gustavo petro but over the last um month-ish polls have been showing a a slight tightening between between the two um petro and gutierrez Mm -hmm. um but we'll see especially if you know there's still uh, about a month and a half until that final vote between the runoff of those candidates a lot can change yes we'll keep we'll keep you updated (laughs) so that was um the colombian presidential election round one um and we talked about one gutierrez but kaylee Mm-hmm. There's another Gutierrez that we want to know about. Yeah. What's going on with the Secretary General yeah. of the United Nations? The Secretary, <laughs> I think the Secretary General would say that he had a, maybe a bit more of an exciting week than usual. He was fired at by rockets while he was in the Ukraine. Um, and right, I think yes. that's that's probably the big thing that I'm going to focus on this, this uh, time. <laughs> so I totally forgot that happened this yeah. week. <laughs> Um, so that you you had Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez, uh, sort of, uh, I think yesterday, uh, was congratulating the Security Council, or not congratulating, I think he's just saying, like, you've done something, good job, uh, but spoke with, he said they spoke with one voice for peace in Ukraine, um, and, uh, and, and that this is sort of the first time that this has happened, and he was very happy to see that happening. Um, but earlier in the week, he had been in, uh, he'd been to, he went to both Russia to, he spoke with Vladimir Putin, uh, and he spoke with, uh, Zelensky in the Ukraine, um, uh, to try and sort of, I, I think the primary goal was to reach an agreement to evacuate, um, uh, Azovstal plant, which is in Mirapol, uh, city in Ukraine. Um, that had a number of residents, I think about 100,000 residents who were hold, held up and couldn't escape. So he was working and I think he'd, he'd reached a, an agreement in, in principle with Vladimir Putin. And then he was like, OK, got to go to the Ukraine, talk to them. Um, and then while he was there, uh, just shortly after his meetings with Zelensky, there was a really significant uh, rocket attack that did result in people dying. He was fine. Um but it looks like that the UN and the International Committee for the Red Cross um, could uh, could part, work in partnership um, to evacuate um, the 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 as as of stall plant in Mirapol. Um and then so so I think he must have been a bit chagrined when he went to the the Security Council um, to, to to thank them for supporting peace. Uh, a push for peace in Ukraine. Um, it is worth noting that Russia is on the Security Council as well, um, and they uh, they were trying to uh, the security uh, a Security Council was trying to draft a resolution uh, to uh, speak out against Moscow's special military operation. Air quotes around special military operation in, uh, mm-hmm. in Russia. Uh, by Russia, but Russia uh, vetoed that, which is maybe not surprising. Um, but it is just sort of interesting that they've come to make this agreement, but all the while, uh, Russia does carry uh, veto power, um, and and makes you think about uh, the role that Gutierrez has to play in all this. 
Yeah, it's really, um, every once in a while, you know, like, this guy's job, he's making these, like, big, you know, broad strokes speeches about what the world should do over the next, you know, mm-hmm. 5, 20, 50 years, and then specifically going to talk to one dude to stop his special military operation. Yeah. Um, it just all of a sudden becomes very real every once in a while. <laughs> yes, <laughs> What yeah. his job is. <laughs> Yeah, most of the time he isn't being fired at, but it was seen as quite um, quite the uh, undermining of the UN by Russia to have, have done that rocket attack because there was no way that they didn't know that he was there. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. As you said, he just said, I got to go and <laughs> yeah. I'm heading to the Ukraine. <laughs> and that was a direct quote. Uh, I didn't paraphrase. paraphrase. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he normally uses such evocative language, but this time he's just straight to the point. I gotta go. When you have a flight to catch, you have a flight to catch. <laughs> uh, but with that's that's that here. Uh, you know, busy week for Antonio. What's uh, what's happening in space these days? Space news. Oh, okay. So this is what was happening in space. Mm, let me do the math. I think eight years ago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But this, Kaylee, could turn into a Hollywood movie, and it's actually space news this time. Often, lately, I've been talking about whatever's happening on Earth, birds, brains, and stuff, whatever. Mm -hmm. But back in 2014, you may recall um, a fireball that came through the sky, right, Mm -hmm. over Papua New Guinea. Um, And everyone was like, what the hell was that? (laughs) Uh, And it turns out that um, there there was a paper in 2019... That was published that ha- that was not peer reviewed because they couldn't include all of the data and all of the calculations, right? Okay. Um, into this object. So this object was. Let me tell you what the object was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was this fireball that came through the sky at two hundred and ten thousand kilometers per hour. Fast. Um, a meteorite that was one and a half feet across. Okay, on January fourth or January 8th, 2014. Um, the thing is, is that that is very, very fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even for an object in space, even for a meteorite, 210,000 kilometers per hour is very fast. Yeah. Um, and so it's now known that this is the first ever interstellar object that we know of okay. that has landed on Earth. So you see how this is becoming a Hollywood movie. Yeah, yeah. But quick question. What's an interstellar object? It means it came from outside the solar system. Okay, I got it. Wow. So. That is cool. So, and, right, the reason why this wasn't published, it wasn't in peer-reviewed journals, it was just on the archive, is because it used information that was held, that was classified and held by the United States Space Command. Oh. Aliens? And now... I don't know, but okay. So then, right, the United States Space Command just recently declassified this information. Um, so now it's like you can look at their information and now the paper makes more sense. And you can say, okay, this thing definitely came from outside the solar system, moving hmm. super fast. We mm-hmm. don't know of anything like this before. It also landed on Earth. Um, it also, since 2014, there was another interstellar object that's been... Um, spotted which is the uh, Oumuamua which is this um, other um, object moving through the sky very fast but this one actually turns out to be faster than that and so mm-hmm. now kind of retroactively we've been like oh it's actually this yeah. South Pacific one um, 
And the thing is, right now, this is the Hollywood part Mm -hmm. is that this thing landed in the, in the South Pacific ocean. Yeah. We have never found an interstellar object like this on earth before. Oh, wow. It's a 1.5 feet. That's not very That's big. not a lot in the whole ocean. That's like that's not, that's like 38 centimeters, okay? <laughs> now. Now, do we look for it, Kaylee? Do we send an expedition to the bottom of the ocean to troll the entire ocean to find this interstellar object that's one of a kind that we could never get and then we can find yeah. an alien egg inside that then takes over Earth? That would be my instinct. That would be my instinct. Anyway, we'll see. Uh, it's pretty cool, though, yeah. that uh, we can find out where this thing came from. It's going incredibly fast. Um, and we've heard from the uh, researchers involved with, the, with uh, this story um, that the possibility of getting the first piece of interstellar material is exciting enough to check this very thoroughly and talk to all the world's experts on ocean expeditions to recover <laughs> meteorites. So it seems like this dude super wants to get involved yeah. at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> you could be involved in like a million superhero origin stories if you find that. Thing, right? You know? like, that's know. the thing. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So uh, that's all that I have to say about these objects on interstellar trajectories um, speeding towards Earth at over 200,000 kilometers an hour. Mm -hmm. And when you say, should I be worried about that? Probably, because it's definitely an alien little robot. Well, yeah. Um, I'm glad it wasn't bigger, I guess. It would probably be dangerous, right? right? (laughs) Exactly. So between glad it keeps hitting the um, ocean. (laughs) Between interstellar objects speeding towards Earth, rockets speeding towards... um, the UN Secretary General and candidates speeding towards being the first uh, left-wing leader of Colombia. Big that week. That is all we have um, for probably politics this episode. Mm-hmm. If you have something to say to us, um, like if you want an election or an episode on all of the history of <laughs> Cold War in South America yeah. and its impact on all 21st century <laughs> politics, <laughs> um, send us a tweet at probpolitics or send us an email at probablyaboutpolitics at gmail.com. Um, thanks for listening. <laughs> we love we you love all. You all. <laughs>